Yeah, um, two words, take control. <laughs> take control of your life, take control of yourself, take control of your journey. You're not uh, an instrument being pushed around on in this life, in, in on earth. Um, you don't have to be told what to do, especially that moment where you kind of turn 18 and, and you see that the, the whole world is in front of you and you're a little frightened by what that means for you. And for some people that means kind of cowering back and into their family. But at the end of the day, realize that this is 100% all you and that's awesome, power to you. Freedom is the most important and powerful force um, on the planet and you have it. So don't second guess yourself. Welcome to Thriving United. If you're an innovator, an entrepreneur, or someone who relentlessly pursues success, this is the place for you. I'm your host, Gregory Alexander, discussing how to grind, grow, and succeed as an entrepreneur. You only have one life, so live it. I invite you to build something bigger than yourself, to create value and change the lives of others to ultimately change the world. With that said, let's thrive. What is up, Thrivers? I'm your host, Gregory Williamson, and today I'm speaking with Juliana Carbonari. Juliana is a love child of the design and writing worlds. She has been a baker, English teacher, retreat host, nanny, and Praxis participant. Her love for creating has now pushed her into a role working at the startup company Praxis as a module two advisor and more. Today, we're going to uncover her journey to learn what it takes to work at a startup and why startups are a great opportunity for anyone looking to launch their career. So without further ado, let's get into it. Juliana, welcome to Thriving United. How are you doing today? Thank you, Gregory. Uh, I'm doing excellent. Um, I'm super excited to be here. It's always great to be able to have the opportunity to do a podcast. Awesome. Well, fill us in on anything that I've missed and tell us what is the main thing you're doing on your journey right now? Yeah. So first of all, thank you for the excellent intro. It's always fun hearing <laughs> your background replayed to yourself. Um, you really hit a lot of the main marks. I've had kind of an untraditional background and series of experiences and job opportunities that in a lot of ways when I was going through them, I didn't understand how all these separate experiences would eventually lead me to where I am now. But now that I'm in that, which is uh, apprenticing and working at the startup Praxis, everything that, I, that I've experienced and, and the skills and insight that I've gained have really brought me right to where I am today. I find that really interesting how you can, once you backtrack, you can see the like web of narrative that pushes you to where you are now. And I think it's a beautiful thing, especially when you start looking at places that you want to go in your future and you can start kind of backtracking, okay, if this is the goal, this is where I want to be. Um, what are the, the moments that will get me there? Like, what can I be doing to string together um, a series of events to get where I want to go? That makes sense. And you can kind of map out your narrative that way. So that's really awesome. So I want to start we're going to get into what you do specifically at Praxis, but at first I want to start with your childhood and what your education experience was like. Can you speak on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have kind of an untraditional <laughs> education experience in comparison to probably a majority of the Praxis community as well as the staff. I went to public school my whole life in Broward County, Florida. Um, I I was always a really good student. Um, I enjoyed school, honestly. I, I had really great teachers that I admired. I had great friendships. I had a good social life. Um, I was your typical AB student. Um, when I got to high school, 
I had the opportunity to go to a public, a public magnet school, um, where I actually did pretty much completed my first two years of high school, my freshman and sophomore year. Um, so I was able to obtain my high school diploma early. And then I spent the last two years of what would be, would have been a traditional junior and senior year um, in one of their technical college programs. So our campus was split between high school students and adults. Um, and both, both, both types of students had the opportunity to go to class together and experience these technical programs. So I personally did the culinary arts program, but we had everything from computer programming to welding um, and even some medical programs. So that was definitely a really cool uh, jump into maturity. Um, and I think a lot of people that I went to school with would agree, you know, when you're working side by side with adults and professionals in, in the trade and field that you're interested in, it just really forces you to gain that maturity that I think a lot of people or, or most people would probably not get until they're actually in college or enter the workforce for the first time. Okay. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So I find it interesting and we'll get to this. Um, at what point did you decide that you didn't want to go to college? What did that story look like and why did you decide that? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Again, I was your typical AB student. It, college was just something that was on the path for me. When I looked at my future, I said, yeah, sure, it makes sense that I would go to college. I didn't really question it until probably my sophomore year of high school. Um, around this time, I just, you know, people start talking about college, what colleges they want to go to, you know, the pressure from your guidance counselors and teachers start coming, everything you do is for college. And that's when I started kind of giving that, transi that transitionary period a little bit more thought. And if that was something I really wanted, um, <laughs> kind of funny, but one of the biggest uh, insights that I had was realizing that most of my peers and friends were really excited about college for things like joining sororities and fraternities and the party scene. And growing up in South Florida, um, that's something that was very prominent. And it just didn't really align with me. It wasn't my idea of a good time. Uh, so I wasn't excited for that. And because I wasn't, I couldn't connect with my friends and peers on that. And it kind of gave me a sense of hesitation of, well, if that's what everybody is really looking forward to about this huge, expensive kind of big decision experience, I'm not sure if I want to do that. Um, and it kind of led to me opening up that dialogue with my dad. And my dad was never uh, the type of parent to push you to do something that you didn't feel like was in alignment with you. So he was never the biggest uh, supporter of college. Of course, my parents were very big on education, but education in untraditional ways, despite my, you know, very normal public school background. Um, so my mom is a flight attendant. I grew up in a very um, travel oriented family. We, I, I had the opportunity to be able to see a lot of places from a young age. Um, and my parents were just really big supporters in general of seeing the world um, as a form of education. So probably throughout my sophomore year, up until my graduation senior year, um, I started sitting and marinating with this idea of using my time once I, once I got my diploma officially uh, to just see the world and, and kind of make that my, my education. Because even though I did have this love for cooking, you know, due to my heritage and, and just my background and, and kind of my inner desire for creating with my hands. Um, I still never felt completely sold on the idea that I could 
go to culinary school. And that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and, and what I wanted to honestly get into debt for. Um, so for me, the, the idea of traveling and kind of giving yourself that space before you make such a huge decision, you know, because when you're 17, 18, what do you really know about the world? What do you really know about yourself and what you like and what you're good at? You haven't been given, most people haven't been given that opportunity yet to explore that. Um, so travel really seemed like the way for me to finally get that space to do a little self-education on, you know, my inner world and, and what, how I was going to kind of fit into this grand picture of, of this experience we're having on earth. So I want to bring up the idea of opportunity cost. And I like that you alluded to this in a way because you spoke about things that people were excited for in college and it didn't resonate with you. But some people argue that, and I'm not quite sure where your situation was, but some people will say that I have like a full ride scholarship or something along those lines. And like, well, it would be stupid for me not to go um, because it's free or pretty close to it. And then that begs the question, okay, what are you missing out on? Because you're also sacrificing not only monetary value, but you're, you're sacrificing time. And that's something you can't get back. And so you have this opportunity cost of what you could be doing instead of going to college. So you said that you talk, you went into travel. Um, I want to go further. What did you do instead of going to college with travel? But how did that start pushing you towards a career specifically? Yeah. So, I mean, with complete honesty, I graduated at 17, actually, and I had no idea where I fit into the world and what I wanted to do with myself. I really had no clue. I had hints of things that I was attracted to, hints of things that I was uh, possibly good at, but I really um, approached the world from a humble perspective, and I just wanted to get out there and start to figure out what really lit a fire inside of me. Um and where that kind of led me and, and what I think looking back now uh, brought me to where I am today is just the fact that um, I gained a lot of respect for the journey and for time. So you talk about opportunity costs and you talk about how, you know, somebody gets a full ride scholarship and they say, well, I would be stupid not to take it. Time is so precious. Right. And, and you said that, too. It's just four years. Um doing something, and this doesn't just have to uh, be alluding to college, but four years doing anything that you are not fully invested in, not fully passionate about, um, not fully just, it doesn't 100% resonate with your being. Four years is a lot of time to, to be in that space. Um, and at the end of the day, you are dedicating that amount of time to something in your life. You want to make sure that you are feeling that way because your happiness, your well-being, the progress that you're making, it's not even just about, um, excuse me, thinking about it from a more linear perspective of, well, I could be using these four years doing these four things. Just from a, a well-being and a growth standpoint, if you're unhappy in a situation, you're not going to be making growth. And four years without growth, that you can't really afford to lose that kind of time. Um, so because I had that realization, that time was so precious and that I needed to use this time to get to know myself, I was able to use my travels, various work experiences, um, just to get a lot closer to realizing what was making me tick, what was making me happy, what was making me passionate, what issues did I see in the world 
that I wanted to be a part of the change for. And it was just such a theme in my life that I felt that young people, you know, um, slightly younger than our demographic, are just really misunderstood in the way they're ushered through the world. And they don't have anybody telling them it's okay that you are not feeling like you want to go to college. It doesn't make you a dropout. It doesn't make you stupid. It doesn't make you any of those things. Um, it's good that you're questioning the status quo. You know, you're not just being filed in the same line out the door as everybody else. Um, and those are the people, those are the types of people that we need to, to celebrate in society. So I wanted to be a part of that celebratory and, and kind of nurturing process. And I just didn't know how that would take form. Um, and then somewhere down the line, I came across Praxis. It resonated with me. Um, I went through the experience myself and here I am today, like really blessed and fortunate to be a part of the opportunity to facilitate that journey for other people. Mm. Awesome. No, that's, that's, that's exciting. Um, so we, you alluded to Praxis, so I want to jump into that. <laughs> um, what, um, so, the, so the biggest thing with Praxis is that you elevate yourself into apprenticing at a startup company. Why does Praxis specifically choose startup companies over large businesses? Yeah, excellent question. So uh, honestly, the very simple answer is that startups equal growth, right? So you're mm -hmm. in this, um, a business is at a high growth period uh, in its journey, and you want to jump in there as a young person, as somebody really eager to jumpstart your career, because you are going to have the most uh, potential for opportunity growth where you can uh, hop in and just make the, kind of have uh, a hand in more things than you would if you were at a bigger company. Um, so speaking to my own personal experience with Praxis, um, we are very much a startup uh, ourselves. And I've had the opportunity during my apprenticeship to pretty much have my hand in almost every department that we have. Um, and that has just been an invaluable experience in itself. I, when I started apprenticing at Praxis, I didn't know what exactly, uh, what exact role type I was attracted to or even really going to be good at. Um, all I knew is that I was 110% behind the mission that we were, that we stood for. Um, and I wanted to be a part of that mission in any way that I could. So now throughout this apprenticeship and I, and I have about two months left in my, my own, um, I have just been able to learn so much about every single area of how this company works. Um, and I can really take that knowledge, um, and see how, you know, in, in a basic regard, that model fits into so many other startups and just all these different parts that work behind the scenes that people don't even realize. So when you're setting up uh, through Praxis, when we set up young people to work in startups, we want them to have that experience. We want them to be able to see all the different coercive parts that work behind the big mission um, that their company stands for. And we want them to also have uh, that freedom to take on a personal project because a, a really big part of the Praxis mindset is honestly um, kind of the permission-based mindset, right? Um, so we want to take that away in, in the regard that, you know, through school, when you want to do something, you always have to ask, is this okay? Can I do this? But is it, you know, you go through all the details in Praxis, we want to completely erase that, you know, you see a problem. If you see a pain point, take the initiative, have the forward tilt to jump on the issue create a rough draft version if you're not sure how to take it all the way through 
and, and just make it, present it to your boss, present it to your supervisor, present it to the company, and boom, you are now <laughs> innovating. You've created a solution to the problem and you didn't have to ask anybody for help. And that sort of uh, movement and action is a little harder to uh, implement in a bigger company, just with more HR rules, uh, a little bit more structure. Whereas in a startup, that sort of thing is more celebrated. And that's the, that's the sort of culture and environment that we know our participants will really prosper in. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to play um, to one argument against maybe a startup company that some people might have, because some people might not want to go to college. They decided that that's not for them. And they've thought that going to a startup company would be the way for them to launch their career. Um, but some people would say that there's less job security in going to work for a startup company. What do you have to say about that? Is that true? Does anyone actually have job security? Um, is there really a difference between a startup company versus another company? What does that look like? Yeah. So um, Isaac Morehouse actually has a really great video talking about this. And I hold uh, the same kind of belief system as him in that there is no such thing <laughs> as job security um, across the board. You know, it's it's all kind of an illusion. Your job is, is as secure as you can make yourself indispensable. So if a company, startup, big, whatever size, uh, is looking down the line and they're seeing, you know what, we're going to have to start making cuts. Uh, financially, we're not doing well. Last quarter, X happened. And it's looking like we need to make some changes around here. The first thing they're going to do is find the people that have jobs that are very easily um, put onto somebody else's kind of plate of responsibilities and the people that just really haven't done anything exceptional outside of their job roles. Um, and again, that happens across the board. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or, or you're a big company. If you are the type of individual teammate employee that is always going above and beyond what is your normal plate of responsibilities, you have put yourself in a situation where nobody or you make it at least very difficult for somebody to ever come in and do exactly what it is that you do. Um, you are therefore indispensable and you kind of put yourself ahead of that uh, that job security fear. Um, I'll give a really personal example. Uh, Hannah Frankman, uh, the community manager of Praxis, that girl is amazing. I do not believe that anybody can do what Hannah Frankman does on a daily basis. She just has such an inner understanding of our philosophy, what needs to get done. She has a vision for pain points. She is just able to jump on any problem, any pain point that we have, solve it, create a solution, um, she can do it all in one day. And she is the type of person that I would really model that, uh, indispensability after. So to clear, um, to kind of make this more concise, would you say that, um, job security is false, but to be more secure, it's important to be versatile, to be more so the ability to put your hand in everything and to carry out that permissionless mindset, no matter where you yeah, are. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that. And then to make it even more concise, it's just the, the art and the science of making yourself irreplaceable. Be the only person that can do your job as well as you do. I love it. All right. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, I want to talk about how you leverage yourself into a position at a startup company because people that are now sold on the idea of starting and working at a company, startup company, um, how do they how do they get to that point? Um, how can they make themselves stand out um, in the crowd of people that might want to work there? Um, 
I want to talk, uh, reflect on your journey, getting into working at your, the startup company Praxis. Um, walk us through that process. How did you land your job there? Yeah. So I, like I said, I was a Praxis participant. I went through the entire boot camp, just like any other traditional participant. Um, and when I entered the placement uh, portion of the boot camp, I uh, was looking at a couple different job opportunities. Um, I actually was in placement for about a week and a half, two weeks. Um, and I had an opportunity in Miami, which is, uh, where I'm originally from, uh, for a kind of a marketing advertising graphic design firm, which at the time was what I really wanted to do. I really had my sights set on, on kind of that world. Um, and the same day that I, I literally drove to the office to turn in my, uh, uh, like a, a project and value proposition that I had made for them. I got a message from TK Coleman, the education director of Praxis. Um, and he just approached me about, he said, we're, we're interested in talking to you about doing your apprenticeship at Praxis. Um, and I, I went through the interview process with them. And obviously I landed the role as I work for them now. But looking back at it, why I think that I was able to be in the position where they reached out to me um, was for a couple of reasons. I would say, number one, I... Throughout the program, I was just really enthusiastic um, and openly enthusiastic about my love and support of the mission and just every philosophy ideology that is behind the Praxis name. So that was the first thing. And, and I think that was definitely noted. Um, every single month, every module that I completed, I mean, I just put so much effort and every participant does, but um, I, I really did make a point of making sure that my experience was with Praxis was not just me submitting deliverables or submitting assignments. It was always about going above and beyond. I wanted to understand the full purpose of the assignments um, and the deliverables that we had and, and make sure that I was 110% leveraging that for myself. Um, and I think that really stood out because something that we are continually teaching to our participants to this day is that when you are going through this boot camp, when you are going through this curriculum, one of the easiest traps to fall into is to kind of fall back into a school mindset where you're like, oh, it's Sunday night. I need to submit my deliverables. I need to get this done. And you do, you do the assignment and you turn it in, but that's not what we're about. And that's not what this whole thing is about. Um, it's so much more than just completing work because that's not going to get you anywhere. It's kind of um, like that saying, you can't hide from yourself. At the end, this all catches up to you because this is really all for you. So um, I was, I think I did a really great job during my personal boot camp experience of not falling into that. And because of that, it really showed in my work and, and the effort that I put forward. Um, so yeah, because of that, I think I, I was really grateful to receive this opportunity from, from TK and the rest of the team. And, and that's kind of how I had, uh, I got the attention that, that landed me this opportunity. Okay. So you didn't create a value prop for Praxis. Yes, I did. Okay. Um, will you touch on that and, um, or the relevance of a value prop in general, and then give it to, give us that example. Sure. So yeah, when, when TK first, uh, reached out to me, we had a, a kind of an initial info call, but I also knew that it was a, like a pre-interview screening. Um, so I had the foresight on that. And one of the first things I said to him, I was nervous and excited and he kind of ran down what the role would entail and, and just to see if I would be interested in it and if I was excited in it. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I will have a value proposition made for you by Monday. And I think it was 
a Friday or Thursday. <laughs> so I just dove headfirst um, into that weekend working on this, this project, this value proposition for them. And my formula for it was every single responsibility that he laid out for me about the role that I would have. I went, uh, I went about it by proving that I could do all of those things. So in a way, I got a head start on the work that I would have had if I had already started the job. Um, so one of the one of their needs was that they they were looking for a new module two advisor, the portfolio project module. I rewrote the curriculum um, and outlined it for for that module. Another part of the role was um, working with the placement and business development team. So I uh, gathered a list of leads of uh, potential business partners that we could contact. Um, and the third part of the role was uh, actually working in the education department. And I'm actually blanking on, on what I did for, for that portion, but it was a three-part project. Um, I made all three separate components. I tied it together in a beautiful package. Um, I made a, a video explaining the work that I did and I sent it off to them on Monday. Okay. So just to recap for the audience that might not know what a value prop is, obviously you've alluded to what it is um, in a more specific way, but in a broader context, what does a value prop allow someone to do? So a value prop is a really powerful tool in the job hunt process. Um, in really basic terms, I would say a value prop allows you to prove your ability to succeed in the role. So you can do this by a, exhibiting your ability to complete the responsibilities and tasks that uh, a job already outlines that they need. Um, a value prop can be you yourself seeking out the pain points in a company or role and, and presenting uh, solutions to that uh, in the beginning. And um, a value prop is, is kind of like, I like to think of it as a gift, right? That you're handing off to a company. You, it's a gift that you're handing with humility you're not saying that you know it all. You're not saying that you're the wizard who's showing up with all the solution to everyone's problems, but you're saying, hey, I have some ideas and not only do I have ideas, but I know how to execute them. Um, so even if you don't necessarily love this idea or, or aren't in agreement with it, that's okay. I've proven to you that I have the ability to have an idea, execute it and hand it off to you without needing anything from you. You totally take the work off, um, off the other end's plates. And there's a really big uh, appreci appreciation on the on other end to see that a young person, especially an entry level possible hire, uh, can do something like that. Because you find that one of the biggest complaints that uh, hiring managers and supervisors have of entry level employees is simply that they feel like they have to micromanage them. Um, they feel like they just they can't leave them alone with all the responsibilities. And while it's 110% okay to have questions and it's, it's very much encouraged. Um, there is a serious power and skill in being able to act on ideas and, and just have forward till again, another praxis word initiative um, to just implement and, and take care of things that you are like, okay, yes, I can do this. I know that this needs to get done. And even if it's not perfect, you're adopting a rough draft mindset where you're able to just create the rough draft version that is still going to be very much appreciated by your supervisor or, or manager on the other side. Mm -hmm. So I want to touch on the emotional aspect of this uh, because a lot of the times people find themselves uh, in the job market uh, submitting resume after resume and uh, especially for a startup company. Um, I think there's this powerful 
um, connection with creating a value proposition for that company because it alludes to the fact that you care about this company and there's a passion there. And I think people forget that the people that are hiring you are humans too. You're not, the company isn't hiring you, a human is hiring you. And it's important to play to the emotional side of uh, hiring managers when you create a value proposition. And that shows so much your passion for that company that you want to work for them when you create something without them asking you to. Um, and so is, is am I on the oh, mark with that? Absolutely. Yeah. They're, with the resume experience, you know, with using resumes to approach the job hunt, you 100% take out the human <laughs> aspect of that experience. And people can feel that. Hiring managers feel that. Companies feel that. Um, even in Praxis, in placement, where we have participants creating pitches and value propositions for companies, one of the biggest things I find myself as a placement advisor reminding participants is each pitch, each value prop, each email that you send out to a company needs to feel very present. And by that, I mean, it needs to feel intentional. The company needs to feel like they are the only ones receiving that message that you are just so in love with the mission, with the idea of being part a part of that, that team that you are really just so willing to do anything for them. Um, so we, we love dating analogies at Praxis. So something else that I, I really like to present that helps participants kind of understand that a bit better is you are looking for a young lady, you know, you're, you're on the dating market, you're really looking to just have some love in your life, but you approach uh, the dating scene with just like, I don't care who it is. I just want a, a woman. <laughs> um, women can feel that. And they know that they're, they're not, they're not the, the one, they don't get that special attention, that presence that you would if you really fell in love with, with just one person, you're just in, in love with the idea of being with someone. So the same thing goes for a company. They know that you just want a job and they can smell that on you. And they're not looking for somebody who just wants a job. They want somebody who's in love with their company, in love with the idea of being a part of their growth and, and helping solve their pain points. Um, and they want to make sure that you are just there for them. Now, does that mean you can't be applying to several companies at, at once? Of course not. It just means that the intention you go into with each individual job hunt um, needs to feel very intentional. And you need, to, you need to make sure that you have to act like every single opportunity you have, every pitch, every value proposition, every contact you have with a company makes them feel like they are the only one. And for you personally, like this could be the one. It's not something that you do um, half consciously. Okay. Now that, make, that makes a lot of sense. I really resonate with that. So we've kind of went from someone maybe on the fence about college to deciding that maybe a startup company is right for them. How to land or um, increase their odds of landing at a startup company. And so we're going to end this with, okay, let's say they land a job. How can they go in day one? We alluded to the value prop, but once they're in the company, what is the environment really like? Um, I know there are obviously stereotypes that go along with startup companies um, that you never sleep and that you need, you're working 20 hour days and things of that nature. H how much is that is true? What can they expect um, in general and how can they kill that, yeah, kill that position? So, I, mean, I, I will have to preface this by saying that each startup has, I mean, will just be very situational. 
they all have very different cultures. I mean, so under the startup culture umbrella, there's just so many subcultures under that, right? Um, so it's hard to point to or, or explain what exactly will each person's experience be like if, if they do enter a, a startup opportunity for the very first time. But I, I can speak to some, I think, basic common denominators of what I think would exist just under that startup umbrella. So number one, we do have a ping pong table. <laughs> That's a real thing. Um, and it's funny, but I will say I understand the ping pong table now because when you are sitting in an office or standing, because many startups have the standing desk now, which is great. Um, and you are just exerting a lot of brain power and you need those bursts of creativity, of energy. Ping pong does something really great for you. Um, so I will say that, you know, looking at a traditional nine to five job and kind of more of that, that corporate world, something that startup world differentiates, I think is kind of the, the general basis and knowledge that employees need to be taken care of, that they're not machines. Um, and that means kind of providing some, a, a nurturing and sometimes fun environment that allows them to make sure that the space and the office that they're working in the environment, um, is very, uh, cohesive and supportive of, of making sure that they're able to get that energy, take care of themselves so they can have those creative thoughts and, and put that energy towards more work and, and uh, implementing other ideas. So that's the first thing. That's my little ping pong uh, spiel. But I'll also say that, you know, with the startup world, um, there are a lot of those stereotypes where you're working crazy hours um, and, you know, you never sleep and, you know, the work is exhausting and, while there are definitely startups where that is true, I will say that I think that stereotype stems from, as a whole, there are many healthy environments, healthy startup environments to work in. But what really sets apart the startup environment um, from going kind of in that extreme direction versus a more healthy direction, is just the sense that when you work at a startup, every single person who is there, who's on your team, wants to be there. It's not just like somebody who walked in, got a job, and they're like, oh, I guess I'm going to be a, an accountant for the rest of my life. And it's just something they do have consciously. At a startup, every single person is behind the mission. Every single person is working towards something. Every single person kind of has those, uh, those vision goggles on where they're searching for a pain point. They're searching for a way that they can help improve the company and, and be a part of its growth mission. Um, yeah, and that is something really beautiful and awesome all in itself, because it's not common really when you, with a group of humans, it's hard to get people to collaborate together to work for one common purpose. It honestly really is. Um, and you find that in the startup world, you find that within each individual company, everybody genuinely wants to be there. And if at some point somebody doesn't, well, they just get up and they go and that's 100% okay. But you'll always be sure that the environment that you're working on, everybody no matter how diverse our backgrounds are, no matter how different we are, we are all there for one common purpose. And that by far is my favorite thing about being able to experience a startup culture. I like that you pointed out um, the whole thing that somebody might view um, from the outside a startup, even though you might work 
a ton of hours that it might be draining or something along those lines. But in fact, it could also give you energy and make you want to push even harder because um, I'm sure you've heard of this. You're the average of the five people you hang around the most. Um, just that whole mindset right there. Um, when you're around those people that are hungry and eager to um, get to this next goal or something along those lines, it just motivates you and pushes you. And at some points, it probably doesn't even feel like right. work. So I like to really approach my work. I mean, I, I'm going to be completely honest here. We're human. We have days where we don't want to go to work. We have days where there's assignments that we don't want to do. And that's completely normal. You have to embrace that. That's part of the experience too. But the biggest thing, the biggest attitude you can have or that you need when you enter a startup or any job that just requires a lot of you as a human being is you have to realize it's not I have to do this. It's I get to do this. I get to be a part of this mission. Mm -hmm. I get to do this assignment. I get to have this role. Um, And that is just such an integral and important and powerful mind shift change um, that it'll completely change the quality of your work. And that in itself, for me personally, gives me the energy each day to just approach my work with humility, happiness, gratitude, um, and just provide the most of myself that I can to my team, to my company, and to this mission. Mm, that was beautiful. I love it. All right. Okay. So that's going to wrap up most of what we have to talk about at startup. So I'm now I'm just going to ask you a few short answer questions and how answer however you like, but I am curious. All right. All right. So what's one personal habit that you have that you can attribute to your growth as a person? I would say one personal habit. Um, I would say I have a notepad, just like your standard, like legal size notepad. <laughs> and every single day I write down everything that I need to do for the day, personal and work in just a really simple long form list. And at the end of the day, and, and as I complete my tasks and errands, I cross them out. And every Sunday um, I like plan my week out. And on the first of each month, I use the same notepad to kind of plan out my, my monthly goals and monthly to do's. It's a super simple system. But it honestly has been such an important and integral part of how I've been able to achieve goals and make sure that the stuff I want to happen actually happens. Um, I used to be all over the place and, and just have my notes on my phone, on my calendars everywhere. But now I just have it in this one notepad and everything for the most part that I want to get done gets done. Mm, like it. And so other oper- uh, other things, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on like Trello or Asana. Um softwares that allow you to do something like that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, Trello is awesome. And we use it as, as part of our workflow on the placement team. Um, Asana, I haven't really dug into so much. I think they're great. Uh, organize, organization systems or the optimal organization system is going to be different for everybody. For some reason, for me personally, it's just so much more satisfying to be able to write things by hand. I do so much work on the computer. Um, and yeah, being, I just plan better and I visualize better when I have the power with the pen or the pencil in my hand. So just for me personally, that's what works the best. All right. So next question, what's the best advice you've ever received? Ooh, that's a toughie. (laughs) Um, well, I will say the advice that one piece of advice that has kind of stuck to me my entire life, like I'll, I'll never forget being told this was actually something my dad told me um, in high school. I was just really stressed. I don't even remember what I was stressed about. And he told me, 
don't waste your energy on stress. All stress does is cause ulcers. <laughs> and <laughs> as simple as a saying as that is, and as obvious as it is, I think that just really stuck with me because it's true. Uh, you really have to watch how you're expending your energy. And stress is such an expender of all of our energies. It's so easy to get caught up into it. Um, so for me, as soon as I feel myself, you know, in that state where my stomach is tightening, my shoulders are getting tight, and I just am not feeling good, um, I just remember that. Release it because nothing good is going to get done in that state. Um, so the more control I have over my breath, my calmness, and the farther away I am from that stress and anxiety, uh, just the better I know that I'm doing in my life in that day and just as a person as a whole. Yeah, I really resonate with that. Okay. Cool. So, so the reverse of this, um, what's the worst advice you've ever received? <laughs> um, ooh, let's see. I think, um, oh, well, <laughs> when I was in high school, um, I had a situation when I, I kind of fully made the decision that I didn't want to go to college where I literally had my guidance counselors crying in an office telling me they couldn't believe I was making that decision. And that oh my goodness. Gonna ruin my life. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can empathize and understand why they felt that way. I mean, I was one of the top students in our class and they just saw a lot of potential in me. And, and at the base of that, they really cared about me and they just wanted what was best for me. And that's what in their experience they felt would be the best thing for me. Um, but yeah, one of them, I remember told me, why don't you just go to school? Um, you know, go to our local community college and take a couple classes and, and float around a little bit and, and see what you like. Um, and that's not horrible, horrible advice. But for me at the time, I just remember it touched me so deeply to where I was like, no, it was just, it felt like a complete rejection. Everything in my body was like, absolutely not. That just feels like such a, um, such a, a, what's the word? It just, it felt like such a rejection of all the beliefs and, and ideals and this confidence that I had instilled in myself for, for taking this decision that was off the normal path. Um, yeah. And I, I did not want to be the word float really stood out to me because uh, if there's one thing I don't want to be, it's not to be a floater in life. Every move that I make internally, externally in my life, I want it to be very intentional and with purpose. So the idea of walking mm -hmm. from class to class and community college and just like kind of half being there, half not was just so against me. So against everything in my being. Mm, I, I had a very similar experience with my guidance counselors. I, I, they didn't cry, but they definitely put up a fight. <laughs> so, okay. Next question. Um, what is one book you would recommend to the audience to help empower them to continuously grow? Yes. Okay. This one's easy for me because I'm a huge reader. Um, the Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. He's a Brazilian author, but the book is also in English. Um, this is the number one, my favorite book that I've ever read in my entire life. And I've read it several times in two different languages. Um, it is the book that when I was really struggling with this inner dialogue of whether I wanted to go to college or not and what that meant for me in my life, um, I, I was experiencing this in high school, as you know, um, I came across this book and I read it and it completely confirmed everything that I needed to, to know in that moment. This book gave me confidence and encouraged me to grow in ways that I never knew that I was capable of. Um, and it has a really beautiful spiritual undertone to it um, it's, uh, that I think a lot of people would, would resonate with. 
um, and just realize that they are in complete control of their path and, and life is here for you. So if that means for you that you don't want to go to school or that means for you that you want to change careers or, or you're just looking for a change in your life, I highly recommend if you're feeling a little lost that this book will help you realize that you're exactly where you need to be and kind of help you uh, create those visions to show you where exactly you want to go or where you're heading. I completely second what Juliana says about this book. It's a great book. And I will leave that in the show notes um, for all of you listening. All right. So how can the audience find out more about you and what you do and uh, get in contact with you if they have any questions? Sure. So I um, I have a website, my first last name.com, julianacarbonade.com. Um, and I also write on Medium. I have a Medium publication. Um, and this year, actually, I will be publishing a couple new blog posts and articles, some big ones. So uh, look out for that. But uh, otherwise, I am always more than happy to speak with anybody, talk career advice, completely free of charge, just person to person, human to human. And the best way to contact me would be through email. And I think Gregory can put my email in the show notes. Is that right? Yes. Okay, awesome. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap it up here. If you have any parting advice, encouragement, et cetera, for my listeners to help them um, navigate the job hunt, maybe land um, a job at a startup company and kill it there, please share that now. Yeah. Um, two words. Take control. <laughs> take control of your life. Take control of yourself. Take control of your journey. You're not uh, an instrument being pushed around on in this life in, in on Earth. Um, you don't have to be told what to do especially that moment where you kind of turn 18 and, and you see that the, the whole world is in front of you and you're a little frightened by what that means for you. And for some people that means kind of cowering back and in, into their family. Um, for some people that means hiding away in, in college. Um, that's okay. It's okay to feel a little scared and, and want that protection to kind of go back into that tribe mentality. But at the end of the day, realize that this is 100% all you and that's awesome. Power to you. Freedom is the most important and powerful force um, on the planet and you have it. So don't second guess yourself. You're young, take some risks. Um, and also I would really like to say um, that I want to make it clear that Praxis is not anti-college and my, myself either. There are plenty of people who have gone to college and done amazing things and for them it was the right choice. We are pro empowerment and making the correct decision for yourself as an individual experience. So take control of your individual experience and watch how many amazing things can happen for you. Well said. Juliana, thank you for your time and sharing your story with the Thriving United community. You are an inspiration and I can't wait to follow you as you continue on your journey. It's been a pleasure and I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much, Gregory. It's been really amazing doing this experience and, and I hope this uh, touches a lot of people and, and kind of helps open their minds a little bit.